Hello and welcome to Meet the Founder, a new series within But Why podcast. My name is Clemmie Telford and before I began out on social media, my career was in advertising as an agency creative director and later as a creative strategist at Facebook and Instagram. I have a fascination with brands, how and why they exist and the stories of the people behind them. Meet the Founder is my opportunity to marry my love of honest conversations about tricky subjects with my curiosity about brands. It's business chat, but a bit nosier. Gardening was seen as you go in the garden and you're in the soil. But I love the fact of like making it more accessible and saying, yeah, you can have 20, 30 houseplants. You are a gardener, you know, within your home. Today I'm talking to Janelle Leon, founder of Prick, and actually so much more than that, but we'll we'll get onto that in a minute. Give me the elevator pitch for Prick, why it exists, how it came into the world. Yeah, sure. Well, the gardening industry in the UK is worth about 6.2 billion per year. Um, however, 30% of private owners don't have any access to outdoor space. And I was one of those people. I lived in a flat in Bow. I had no balcony, no outdoor space. And I just felt something was missing from inside my home. And that's when I kind of fell in love with houseplants. I was used to, my parents live in Essex. We had a massive garden. We had lots of greenery around us. And when I moved into my flat, as much as I loved it, I just didn't have that green indoors. And at that time, so we're thinking 2014, 2015, there was no houseplant shops. You know, you either had garden centers or you had florists and they had such a limited amount of houseplants. And then to get a pot, that was something else as well. You're just getting these plastic shiny things. So I basically created uh, the shop of my dreams where it was where I could go somewhere and get unusual house plants, ones that were super loyal. So I stuck to cacti and succulents because I found that they really suited my busy lifestyle and a busy city lifestyle um, and had artisan pots to match. So you could come in, get a living sculpture and pop it in your home and get the benefits of having that connection with nature within. I mean, that's an amazing pitch. I'm like completely, completely sold on it. And it's it's absolutely mad, isn't it? When you say out loud at that point, that felt niche because now, you know, how many years on we're like, oh yeah, of course, houseplants, houseplants are a big thing. But but it, it really it really didn't exist then, did it? No. So I remember when I, so I started working in a florist, um, interning while I was doing my nine to five. And that's when I realized lots of people kept coming in saying, oh, but I want to plant, I've just moved into a new home. And I found that it was quite a city kind of element of thing that we didn't have that outdoor space. And so, you know, within a florist, you used to find just a small handful of house plants, and especially with a cacti, you might just find one. And it was only when I went to um, Chelsea, um, Chelsea Flower Show, I was like, hang on, there's thousands of these incredible plants, but they're just not for sale on the high street. There's, you know, it's just specialists and collectors that have them. Um, and I think that once people started to understand their benefits and how it changed their home, it kind of flourished. But I've just thought at the time I was like the maybe second house plant shop by the time I got it open in London. Um, I, I mean, we still were the first and only cactus and succulent store um, in London in the whole of the country at the time. Um, so it was one of those things where it was this strange thing. People would come in and say, why do you, why, why are you selling these? Or they thought it was an art gallery uh, where we were just showing plants off. So it was like the fact that now in all the, this time, 
there has been such a shift. It's kind of going back and it's not something new. I think lots of people don't realize that. It's just the resurgence, you know, in the 70s, there was a huge boom, 70s and 80s of house plants. You know, lots of people had the cheese plant. People remember that and the spider plant. In the Victorian times, they had that as well as a status symbol. So it's something that does keep coming around, but I'm hoping this time it's here to stay. Oh, that's really fascinating. So it it is kind of a fashion. I wonder why it fell out of fashion. I don't know. It's quite strange to think, because I remember as a child having lots of houseplants and then they just weren't there. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that maybe it's a change in the times. I think a lot of people kind of then went into more seeing furniture as just the furnishings and, and decoration. Um, and I think now it's come back around and we've had so many new things into our like social scene as in like self-care you know, um, sustainability. I think there was, once houseplants went out, I think that there was a huge focus on flowers, cut flowers. And I think now it's like, you know, as much as I still love flowers, I wouldn't buy them every week for my home. You know, it's the, the distance they come. It's the fact that once you've got them, they're already dying from the moment you've got them. So I think for special occasions, yeah, but I find that then now people are like, actually, I can have houseplants that keep that nature in my house all the time. It's really sustainable. I can propagate them. I can give them to friends, you know, I can grow them on. And so it's being able to bring that gardening inside for the, all of those millions of people in this country that don't have an outdoor garden. And it's like gardening was seen as you go in the garden and you're in the soil. But I love the fact of like making it more accessible and saying, yeah, you can have 20, 30 houseplants. You are a gardener, you know, within your home. I love that. And actually, even as you're saying that, it feels quite bold, but, it, but it's, it's so true. I asked you off mic, but did you train in being green-fingered? Is it something you feel like you're born with? I never would have called myself a nature lover, basically. If you said to me, 10 years ago, are you a nature lover? And I think that's because of like how it was kind of, how we see and define nature love. I think we would define that as maybe, I don't know, someone that really into animals or, you know, goes for hikes and things like that. But it turns out I've always been a nature lover. My parents are both from St. Lucia and I spent every summer holiday with my grandparents in St. Lucia. So like six weeks of the year, like on this beautiful island, you know, on the beach, horse riding, you know, out in the garden. And that's always been such an important part of my life. Um, and then I just never realized that I've always had that connection. I've always yearned for it. Because whenever I felt myself needing it, I'd just go off, you know, go back there. And living in Essex, we were always surrounded by forests and green and that we spent so much of our childhood in that. And I didn't realize actually, yeah, I've always been a nature lover. Um, but I never formally trained in it. I had always loved flowers. Both of my grandmothers loved flowers, had really gorgeous gardens in St. Lucia would always talk to me about like the benefit and their love of the, you know, natural beauty. And um, so I used to do a lot of like floral art. So in school, my A-level, I did a lot of floral art. And then for myself, I used to do floral photography. And then I think it was in 2013, I won the RHS photograph um, competition that they have, um, the abstract. And that was the first time when I was like, hang on a second, Maybe this could be more than a hobby. Like I've just done this for myself in my bedroom, in my free time. And then it was realizing, hang on, other people are seeing there's a talent and a skill here. Let me see, you know, where this can progress. And that's why I thought, actually, let me give myself a chance. Cause I've always been like, 
oh, I love flowers and maybe I'll do floristry later on. But what I did do is I did a um, short course actually in an adult college, like contemporary floor design. And then I started an internship on the weekend in a florist. So I kind of started to like make that step forward while having the comfort of my nine to five. I was like, let me just see what this holds for me. And you've referenced a couple of times your nine to five. What was that part of your career in? Um, so it was actually very close to where we are now. It was just off Chancery Lane. I worked for Monster, which I'm not sure if still going now. It was like a recruitment site, but we worked for like a government um, agency. So it was doing like, I was a fraud and compliance analyst. So very different to, you know, owning a cactus shop. And before that, I used to work in private banking. I used to do wealth management, investment banking before that. So I've had quite an, a journey of, of careers. And how, what was the crossover? How long were you keeping your nine to five before you made the leap to, to do this as your full-time job? I was doing, I think I, my course probably lasted, I think it was quite a short course, so maybe it was three months. And I had been interning for maybe about um, a year. And it got to a point when I was like, I just need to, I can't, I'm not one of those people that can focus on too many things. And I was like, if I want to give this a go, I need to be all or nothing. I'm quite all or nothing kind of person. So I made a very bold move. I sold my flat and I gave up my job because I knew that if I had my mortgage there, I would constantly need to somehow be getting money to, you know, pay my mortgage. And I wouldn't probably make decisions that were maybe best for me in that moment. So I wanted to completely start all over again, to be honest. So I sold my flat, I gave up my job and I went away for about six months. And part of it was like, to learn more about cacti. So I went to the desert in America, went on like a road trip from Utah down to LA um, to see them in habitat. And I love the desert anyway. Um, and then I was just doing lots of fact finding. I went to St. Louis also for three months, just to like, I feel like once you end a chapter, it's good to have a complete break. Um, and then when I came back, it was about another six months of me really trying to find out as much as I can about plants, about business, about running a business. Um, and then, yeah, so it probably took me about, after I gave up my jobs, it was about six months while I was maybe doing a nine to five, six months after that, it took me about a year after giving up my job to start the business. It's so interesting because I think on paper that might you know selling a property sometimes might feel like a backward step and it's a, like as you say out loud it's a very very bold move isn't it but you were that sure of the step you wanted to take don't get me wrong there were times i was like on a yo-yo sometimes i was like ah well like oh my gosh what am i doing what am i doing what am i doing and then sometimes i would be like no 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 i have to do it so it wasn't that every day i woke up and i was very confident of what i should be doing i think it was more, I think have, you have to have that self-belief, especially when you're starting something that's completely new. Like the only thing that I could like kind of pair myself up against was a florist, but it really wasn't a florist. So it was hard for people to understand that. And I knew at that time it would be easier for me to bootstrap, for me to just put in my own money to be able to see it through. And I felt like I was up to gain a lot more than I was gonna lose. Uh, I just feel like I really needed a change. And I felt so excited by that change. It completely took away any risk or, I knew it was there, but I felt like doing this for myself and pushing myself to follow a dream and a passion would give me so much more than staying unhappy in a job in a home. 
I love it. I absolutely love it. And you referenced then this fact-finding bit. And did you know what it was exactly you were researching or were you just following your instincts on what you should be looking into? I got like lots of like um, business books and I also joined a lot of like business um, workshops that you can do for free that are like funded by the government. And then basically I find that every time you find an answer to something, there's probably another question or another problem to solve. So it was kind of like, I talked to a lot of people as well. So people would be like, where are you keeping your cacti? I was like, oh, didn't think about that. Okay, so you need a greenhouse. Okay, get a greenhouse. What type of greenhouse should I get? Is it gonna be glass? Is it gonna be, you know, plastic? Like, so it was all of those things. And once I do that, okay. So then how am I gonna keep the pests off? And how am I gonna water, how often am I watering? And it was kind of like that, but in hindsight, I realized it's actually really difficult when you don't know what you should be knowing. So I got as much skills as I thought I needed or were readily available for free. But it's only then once you're on job that you're able to be like, oh, actually, from the beginning, if I had made this change, it probably would have run better. But I feel like that is all part of entrepreneurship. Like, you're never going to be in the absolute perfect position. We're always going to make mistakes. It's just about kind of recognizing the mistake or recognizing where there's a hole in your knowledge and being able to kind of rectify that quickly. So I, I am sometimes I do like beat myself. Oh, if you just, but I have to then be kind to myself and be like, well, I wasn't to know. So that's something I've taken a lot of comfort in finding out like, oh, actually I made that mistake, but I know now that's a mistake and I will now not do that next time. Talk to me about any of those kind of failures or big learnings along the way. As I was saying, one of them was that I didn't know what I didn't know, basically. It's really hard because you're like, you're trying to find out, but it's only afterwards it's like, oh, well, you know, you should have been doing those KPIs. And maybe if you just so, I found that like I, cash flow wise, I was just kind of balancing books, but I wasn't doing a very detailed KPI to see what was coming in and coming out every month. I wasn't doing enough analysis to see like, oh, that's actually a really popular product or that's making us money. With me, I feel like I started the business a bit like a um, creative project. So it was more like, what do I like? You know, and a lot of my customers were very much like me. But if I looked at the figures, what that was one mistake that I just wasn't doing enough analysis um, and being able to use data wisely. Um, another one was that trying to grow too fast. Um, I found that there was a lot of businesses that have had this, especially after the pandemic lockdown, you know, we had a lot of business through lockdown because we we're one of the few independent like plant shops that had an e-commerce um, shop. And so we had a huge rise in sales and you know, you kind of open your eyes and you think, oh, there's this many people out there that want to buy from us. And so, you know, you get a bigger space, you get a bigger team, you get the, but it came down. And I think I wasn't expecting that. I was thinking, okay, you know, the momentum kept for quite a few months. And so I think that's the thing, being able to recognize and be able to slowly grow instead of taking on too much and then having to like double back down. So I think those are two of the biggest lessons um, that I learned, but it were things that, you know, you can 
correct. And it's being able to recognize that and knowing that next time, you know, and also the analysis would have helped with that as well. So I think it's always being able to take that time to do the bits that do are quite a bit boring. And it is boring looking at the numbers. You know, there are some people that are really into it, um, but I was more creatively inclined. I'm up, like I do all the creative direction, the photography, I come up with the designs, you know, I love that bit. And then when it comes to the boring figures and making things add up, that's the part I was kind of would rather hand off. The pandemic thing is really interesting and important to touch on. I think we're all being faced with this in all of our lives. What we're now realizing is outside forces are, are going to come at you. You know, we've had the pandemic. Now we're having, you know, the cost of living crisis. And you can you can be trying to sail your ship in one way, but when these things are coming, you know, you couldn't predict it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that did teach me a big lesson of being able to just change quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think before the pandemic, I'd been going for like five years, almost five years. And it was, I knew my trends. Like I knew when things were gonna go, you know, high, the, you know, the busy seasons and then the troughs, you know, being able to prepare for that. And then the pandemic just threw it all out the window because the Christmas after that 2020, we then it went into tier four, we were in lockdown again, so people couldn't go out and buy. So then Christmas now wasn't the busiest time. So it was being able to like, adjust very quickly and be like, okay, we need to now follow like what trends do people want to do? Do they want to go out? Do they want to do workshops? Are they buying gifts? Are they buying things to make themselves feel better? Have our finger on what our client, what our customers needed. Um, and so I had to kind of get out of my head as much and really look at the, the um, data and really be like, oh, okay, this is what's happening right now. There'll be some months where weirdly everyone was buying a rubber plant. Like, so strange. Even with my column, I'd start like looking at like Google trends to see what are people Googling? What do they want to know about? What is it, you know, is it about pests? Is it about this plant? And it, it was just so interesting when you then focus your business and everything that you're doing on what your customers need. Um, I feel like I do know quite a lot about what my customers want and need, but it's interesting seeing it there, you know, in figures, being able to then use that as a guide. I found that that was something that made a real difference to me. It's absolutely fascinating, these zeitgeisty things. Like you say, why does everyone suddenly want a rubber plant? And, and you think, oh, as a customer, you're like, oh, I think I'm being so original. And then you go around your mate's house, you're like, oh, you've all bought one this week. Sometimes we will look and see if there's been, sometimes it can be like, it's on Gardener's World or something yeah. like that. So we do find spikes like that. Or it might, yeah, it might be something on a TV show or something like that. But sometimes it just seems completely random. Um, it's also seasonal. But yeah, as I was saying, with the pandemic, it just meant that we just had to to change and move like I got a bigger space now I've just reduced my space and it's being able to like react to that cost of living and I think being able to have a shorter term lease makes that so I think now entrepreneurs need to have more flexibility you had a physical shop and am I right in thinking yeah. you've, you've now changed to just yes. online so I had a physical shop in Hackney and so I was running that for six years and then last year I moved it into I had a botanical studio in Bethnal Green as well um, where we used to do it was two stories we used to do all the e-com from upstairs and then downstairs we had like a lovely workshop space 
Um, but now both of them have closed literally within a month because we've just moved it all online because it was mostly because of Brexit. I was importing my plants every three months directly from the growers. And after Brexit, I was no longer able to do that. So then I had to import through an import and they put up the price, they put up the price about five times. So imagine I now have to sell five times as much to make the amount I was before. I couldn't get the diversity of stock because it's all on whatever they want to bring in. I was working with like a lot of direct, like direct with lots of really small growers and private um, collectors, which made the store's stock so special. So we did lose that and it was fine because when we, I started just doing all house plants, but it just got to the point where I just thought, you know what, it's actually bigger than me. There's no point me trying to keep going in the same way when the world's changed so much. The, you know, the business was staying the same as much as I could, but the, the world around me and, you know, buying habits and things had changed so much. I just thought, hang on a second, let's close down the spaces, move online, and basically just take some time to kind of be in a transitional stage mm -hmm. to work out what to do next. And there was, it was really hard actually, because there's a lot of like feelings of failure with that, especially when you have a, like a public space. I loved being on the high street. I loved being able to interact with our customers, be able to talk and, and just be something beautiful on the high street. So it was really, really difficult for me to make that decision, but, I know that it's the right one. And I think a lot of times when we talk about entrepreneurship and founders, it's about starting something, not so much about like the benefits of like dialing things back and like taking a beat or being like, actually that's been a success for seven years. What's next? Is it this? Is it, you know, a different iteration? What's next? So I think I'm trying to be very vocal about the fact that, yeah, at the moment, we're just trying to work out what's best and how to do it. There's still so much changing with importing plants all the time. There's a new license for importing cacti. So now a lot of the imports aren't bringing in cacti because an extra cost. <laughs> you know, it's one thing, you just have to laugh at it now where you're just like, oh, another thing, okay. So I think the timing is right. Um, I'm still able to, you know, have my brand and be able to do pop-ups and sell our lovely pop pots and create plant care products and do beautiful bespoke gifts and things for people, which is lovely. But I am happy at the moment that I've got some space to work out how this is going to work and what it's going to look like going forward. I think that's such an important thing to talk about, that, that maintaining a business is it, it looking different. And also, you don't always have to be on a growth thing. You Sometimes sometimes it's in a reflect, work it out, think again, because you're. it's kind of like not starting a business again because you've got everything that you've created, but it needs to look different because, the, as you said, the world is different. And who's to say that those you, you won't reopen? It's not never again to those shops. It's just at this moment, this isn't the right... Yeah, it's really tough. And I know there's so many founders and it's really sad, you know, seeing on the time, like another shop's closing, another shop's closing. And I saw like a statistic recently that was something, it was really high, like 53% of all independent shops will close in 2023. And it's just like, it's like doomsday. But I think that the people that I have spoke to and I've reached out, they're just like, it's the right thing now. Like, I think, the amount of stress that goes on to a founder when the business is struggling or we're going through a time like this where we've got that cost of living crisis people don't have money you know you feel guilty advertising it's like you only want people to buy your things if they can afford to do it and you understand if they can't um so that's something that i totally got 
and just realize actually, yeah, it's not the time to be trying to push forward for growth. There are a lot of, you know, areas where it is still growing. There are businesses that are still doing well, but um, I found the plant business at the moment is really suffering because of Brexit. And that's something it, that's bigger than all of us. So I think it's being able to accept, like, actually I've done my bit, you know, we've run an amazing business for years and now it's seeing like what it looks like going forward. But it is a really hard time for founders and especially our well-being. basically. It's a really hard time for anyone that's retail based at the moment. It, it's, it's really, it's really tough. <sighs> Yeah, it's hard not to feel utterly depressed by it and frustrated with the impact of Brexit. But there's so much about the pandemic that was horrendous. But then there were a few glimmers that have come out. You're like, oh, well, that was a, a useful thing moving forward, flexible working and the like. So what is your game plan? It's kind of in a survival mode strategy at the moment. Yeah, I feel really happy, to be honest. <laughs> I feel very happy that I made this decision it wasn't made for me um, and that I've been able to, you know, to really achieve my goals, what I wanted to do with Prick. When I started the shop, there were no house plants, you know, it was all very educational. I've wrote two books, you know, I've still got my um, column in The Guardian. So every week I'm still able to talk and tell people about the benefits of plants. I could do workshops, you know, and I feel like now in, taking this move, it's now bringing me closer to the things that I love. I've got more time, you know, to do special projects. I've got more time to research all of these things I've always wanted, but I just didn't have the time when I was on the wheel of like, you know, keeping a very successful, busy business going. So for me, it's just nice to be able to go have a space to breathe and be like, okay, the brand's still going, it's, it's still working. Does feel like, I think lots of people were sending me messages like, you know, like I lost a family member and I was like, it's okay. You know, I was like, although it's gone, we've had an amazing run and I'm excited to see what's next. And I think it is being able to accept that most things don't last forever. And in ending one thing, we make so much space for something else. So I'm excited about like, what prick's gonna be in the future or what else I can do. Um, and I think that's the thing we've found is being able to separate yourself from the business. Like the shop might not be open, but I'm still thriving and well, like I'm doing great. Um, and I'm so proud of what I've been able to do with the brand over the last few years. Actually hearing you speak, it sounds like you're in a, the second version of that really brave move when you sold your property and, and went on that that all important year that that set the tone for the next chapter and it just yeah. feels like life's just dealt you another one of those which ultimately is exciting isn't it yeah and I think once you've done it once I feel like it is a bit addictive I'm like you can just shut it all down you can just start again whereas I think a lot of people feel like age isn't it oh no I can't start something I'm in my 30s oh I can't start something I've got you know, children or I've got, it's like, no, you can. Cause I started my first business and I think I turned 30 that year or 31. Yeah, I turned 31 that year and I completely just completely started again. And I just always know at any point I can start all over again. I wouldn't be leaving the country though cause I'm sure my family would miss me. Um, my son would definitely be coming with me. Um, so, but I think there is a way to be able to just say, okay, I've learned a lot from that and I'm looking to start something new. I've always been someone who does get easily bored. Um, when I first started the shop, I did say I'm giving it five years, as in like, I'm giving myself five years because I know after that I'll probably be like, I want to do something else. And I made it to seven. Um, so 
with the shot shopping, I think it's just giving me that space to be like, actually, there's so many more other things I want to do, but I still feel like Prick is so much bigger than just the retail side of things. It was such a movement and it's just a platform for plant lovers really. And in a way, I love the fact that I was able to market them in a way that was very different to like the kind of whimsical element of horticulture. I'm very much more into like, you know, street art, you know, street culture and all of those things. Um, and being able to bring my own flair and style into it as being something that I thought was definitely missing. Often when you're very, very close to something, which inherently by being a founder, you are close to it. It's some, it's this strange thing where you you start a business because because you want the freedom and then then it become you end up creating these limits for yourself. You're like, hold up, this thing that I created to do whatever I want, I've now made these rules for myself where I feel as trapped as if I was in a corporate industry. Yeah, you can't work on the the business while in it. It's like you kind of have to be one or the other. So I feel like it is true. Like I loved plants. I started off, I used to spend loads of time in the greenhouse, repotting every single one of my plants. Um, and then years later, it's like, I hardly get to see them. Like I was, you know, in the office most of the time doing all the admin -y stuff, you know, coming up with the ideas and getting that all done rather than, you know, being in the greenhouse, like lovingly looking at my plants and caring for them or creating, you know, succulent gardens and things like that. It would be like my team that spent most of the time with the plants. And so you do start thinking, hang on one second, I didn't get into this to just sell them and not really see them, you know? Um, so I think like that was the thing where I had to think that as well. I was like, I love my plants. I love educating people. I love talking about them, but I don't get to spend that much time. And like, as much as I do love people having them, it's not the be all and end all for me, for me to be selling them. So I think there's so many times when we have to stop and question why we're doing things. Like it might've been a good, you know, it might've been our why many years ago, but I think that it is really important every now and then to stop and take note of like, does this serve me now? It's hard when your life changes and your business stays exactly the same. You kind of have this, it's kind of like you're incompatible in a way. Um, and so there were a lot of changes that needed to happen with bringing in staff and being able to then not have it all on me and, you know, re relinquish that responsibility onto others. And then that makes the business different as well, having all of that input from amazing other people. So yeah, I think, there's a lot that happens within us as people and we kind of forget that our business needs to reflect that as founders. When that resentment begins to kick in and you're like, oh, I have to do this, or I hate this. It, it is the most toxic thing. Actually, it's the most toxic thing in any relationship, but it's really toxic in a business. And as soon as people, of course, we all have to show up for the work that we do, but it, it, can, it can poison something all the way through. And actually, if you want to create a successful product it needs to feel like it's still got that love in the middle of it yeah and I'm gonna be honest like there are times when I really hated it like I'd be like oh I've got to go to the shop again like you know because I was tired you know working six days a week I think it got to a point I was I was over it you know and I was in Dalston if anyone's been to Kingsland Road it's like a TV show, it's madness all the time. Like there's so many different characters. There's always something going on. So it's fun for people watching, but if you're there every day, like it's very, it wears you down. Um, and then of an evening, I would then go into the greenhouse and bring in, it was unsustainable. So I think once we fixed that and I got staff in, I could breathe and be like, oh, 
Okay, um, but being able to understand the bits that I don't like, I basically just got other people to do. That was the best thing, you know, getting like a personal assistant to manage emails and do all those things. Like, And it, I feel like it does feel daunting because you're like, oh, I'm taking on all this stuff. But in the long run, it gives you the space to be able to do the best that you can do. And as you said, if that resentment kicks in, all your love for it goes out the window, all your creativity goes out the window. And then it just feels like, you know, it's harder when it's then like, you know, if you're working for someone else, because you think I'm putting myself through this. Like, you know, I don't enjoy this and it's my own doing. It's not like I can blame a manager, or I can blame a different job, it's actually all me. That is it's such an uncomfortable truth to sit with, isn't it? And often we stay in those spots because we're not brave enough to do the, the uncomfortable decision. And it's always important to remember that just because something feels difficult doesn't mean it's not the right decision. You know, it's the right decision for you to shut the shop now. But it's, it's confusing in your brain. You're like, I feel sad about this, but it's still the right decision. Yeah, and I think coming to that place, it wasn't easy. And I did do a lot of therapy sessions to get there where I was like, cause I'd say it and I'd start doing the opposite. Like I'd say, oh yeah, I think I should go to the shop and I'd buy loads more stock. And it's like, what am I doing? Or like getting new things. So it's like, hang on, I'm saying one thing, but I don't fully believe it. So it got me to a place where I was like, does this serve us anymore? Does it serve the business anymore? And like looking at the figures, like, no, it doesn't. We're selling mostly online. You know, I just love having a physical space. It was just for me, you know, and everybody else to come in and enjoy that. But if I'm running a business, it has to make, you know, financial sense. And so it was like, well, we're already selling mostly online. So let's keep it online. And then it gives me this breathing space to do so much more. You know, there's so many pop-ups. We're always invited to different places to do pop-ups. And I would say no, because I've got two spaces, you know. So it's nice being able to have that flexibility of being able to still engage with people at special events, but also just not have that over our heads when we didn't actually need it anymore. And when you're like working towards making those decisions, who are the people you turn to, a therapist? But have you got a mentor? Have you got like people that, that sit very close to you to help with that? I, yeah, therapy definitely helped me because I find that I would go to friends and family, but they had such a strong connection with the shop. As soon as I mentioned, oh no, 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 you can't close it. We love it, we love it, we love it. No, it's fine. And people would help me out, be like, okay, what about if you do this for that, which would help for like a month or getting me bookings for people renting this. It worked for like a month at a time. Then the next month it's like, oh, actually it's a bit tight this month again. Um, and so what I started doing was there are like some people who are business owners that I know that like I would go to and just be like, hey, what do you think of this sort of thing? Um, so I've got quite a few friends that are founders. Um, so I've got like Nicole from like Black Girl Fest. Um, I've got Lisa from Discussion Box. There's lots of different people who I've been able to say like, this is it, like straight up, what do you think? And um, I think it was Lisa who was the first person to just say to me, it's not serving you, let go of it. And I was like, it's true. That it should be just, you know, as clear as that. Um, and that was that was a really big turning point for me because I think that if you're hearing everyone else going, no, 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 you can do it. And I understand why so many of my friends were really willing it forward. But I think like when you looked at it on paper and worked it out, actually it wasn't best for me. And I think therapy allowed me to quiet the outside voices as well and be like, actually, 
How do you, how does it make you feel in your body? What is your body telling you? If you didn't leave here and have someone else say something to you, what would your overall feeling be? And it was that. So I think it was making that a stronger, louder voice, my voice a louder one, and kind of getting rid of that doubt because the doubt that was there kind of crept in from other people. So I think that was definitely the two things that helped me because I spoke to other people and they've gone like, how did you make the decision? Did you have like someone? I was like, yeah, it was mostly therapy. And like being able just to know, we all know what we should be doing. It's just make taking those really difficult steps to make it happen. It's so interesting that, isn't it? Make deciding things based on what you really want, which you do know. Like if yeah. tomorrow no one else was around in the entire world, what would you do? And you know, but, and it's amazing because you've, you've obviously got this amazing drive and this amazing intuition. And when it's always when we try and dial it down or when we don't listen to our body, your body always knows, doesn't it? Like that full body yeah. feeling of like, what I want to do is I want to put my hands back in the soil and I want to be doing plants again. Yeah, and I think that's like, when we think of success, you know, success in our world is seen as growth, like, and growth as in getting more, getting bigger. Whereas I feel like success and growth can be completely different to that, like, for me now it's getting that time back. Like I have time for myself. I have time to do the things that I really love to do. Um, I don't feel tired and stressed all the time. You know, I saw one of my friends, Emma, who runs um, London Terrariums. I walked into a shop and she was just like, you look so much lighter. And I was like, yeah, like, because I know I've made the right decision. Um, I know I love what I'm doing and just doing it in a different way. So I feel like, we see like, especially entrepreneurial successes, like you've got another store and you've got another this and you've got another that, rather than actually you're really healthy doing what you want to do. You know, we hear these stories about, you know, these founders going through all these terrible things. I've read so many biographies of founders and they have really had to go through it, but I don't feel like we should suffer forever. Sometimes, you know, you might need to push through for a launch or to get something off the ground. But I feel like if you then look at the balance and you're like, actually, I'm more stressed out than enjoying this thing. I think that you just kind of have to sit down and reassess like, is, am I doing this the right way? Is there a more clever way for me to do this? And I think there usually is. I think you're so right. Yeah, what we're not talking about, like, of course the going is gonna be tough sometimes. Sometimes you have to dig in. Sometimes you have to do the six day weeks, but when the six day weeks have become your norm so that, yeah there is no sight of a, an actual weekend <laughs> you're like what <laughs> two days off back to back then then you have to take stock and so often in ironically in order to take stock you've got to give yourself the space whether that be a holiday a weekend stepping away and that can be so hard someone once said to me often in business when you feel like you absolutely can't step away when you're feeling like you're clamping down on it is the time you've got to drop it and I know it myself when I get more manic when I'm trying to be all over everything and decide I've got to do this got to do that uh, 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 you lost it you're no longer thinking you're kind of survival aren't you definitely so what does a like the next year look like and I guess what the the next five years or can you not think about that either one Five years, no, no I can't. No way, Jose. None of us can, let's be real. I don't even want to try because it just feels like something will just come in and just something will change. And I think that's what's quite nice. Before, I was quite a control freak in a way that, not detrimentally wise, but I had a plan for myself. So I'd always know, like, this is what I'm working towards and I'd usually always get it done. Well, yes, I would always get it done. 
Um, and I feel like through this pandemic, I've realized there's so much outside of my control. And actually it's nice being more flexible because it doesn't make me feel so stressed. And it also brings down your anxiety. If you're not expecting something to happen and it goes, doesn't happen, you know, you don't have those expectations. So I make loose plans. Like I have like a list of things I'd like to do. Like I really want to keep building Prick as a brand to do amazing collaborations, to keep like bringing out amazing fun content and to engage with my plant community. I definitely want that to happen. To travel, because I love traveling and especially every time I do travel, I find the botanical gardens or unusual plants and to try and somehow bring that to everybody. Like, um, you know, I've got so many goals and things I want to do and it's all around my love of plants and it's all about sharing that with people because I've found the community that like were out there that realized that there was no one out there for them. And it's been wonderful being able to bring so much that they can enjoy. And so, yeah, for me, I think it's just going forward with that. And I love the things that I've enjoyed most about, you know, the businesses like being a creative director, that's something that is true to my heart and being able to do that for other brands and anything botanical really. So yeah, I feel like there's so much <laughs> and hopefully in the next five years, I get to do all of that. But isn't it amazing? I, I almost wish I could have spoken to you six months or a year ago when you were at a really different point, when you're still wanting to be on the other side of this big decision. And now it just feels like you're at that lovely bit when your mind is just bubbling with all these ideas. And it is interesting, you know, there's no joke about the fact that it's tough out there at the moment. But bizarrely, the conversations I'm having, people have, there's ideas brewing. Yeah. And and I, I just hope that that's the only thing that will get us through this is that in all these bleak times, people are coming up with some brilliant plans. Definitely. Two questions before we end. Number one, where can people find you? So the website is www.prickldn.com and online. So we're at PrickLDN on all socials. Yeah. And you're, 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 you've got your own um, account as well, haven't you? Yeah. So my mm -hmm. one is, it will be at Janelle Leon. And you have a column for the Guardian. Guardian. Yeah, and there's Saturday magazine. So every Saturday you'll see my House Plant of the Week column. Absolutely love that. Can you believe that's your job? I know. It's so much fun. Like I'm just like, especially because I wasn't like a writer. You know, I've learned everything I do is all self-taught um, from my plants. And then I was able to get the two books and then I got the column and I just do love writing and educating about them. And it's because I've just had to educate myself. I mean, dreamy, <laughs> absolutely dreamy. I just downloaded an app this week, personal story, to have a look at my house plants. I don't really know what I'm doing. And the app told me nearly all of them are sick. I've been, I've got them all oh, in the, no. I've got them all in the wrong places. I'm, it's, it's, it's this classic thing. I've been renovating. I've got a lot of kids. The plants have had to take a bit of a backseat, but I've, I've vowed to them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them the love they need now. Yeah. But, but no one teaches you this stuff. Well, you do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in my book. Like, um, <laughs> but I think that's the thing. People always say to me like, "Oh, I kill plants," but basically, it's not really you actively killing them. It's just you not knowing their care like needs. So if you knew that one needed direct light and you've got it in the corner, dark corner, yeah. it's gonna die. So it's more like just being able to give people 
the the skills they need. And that's why it's really lovely. I've got my book, but also in the in my column every week, it will tell you where you're going to put it, what it needs, you know. And so lots of people can read it and then be like, oops, no, that's in the wrong yeah. place. Or also, I think the best thing is to do is look for the place in their house you want to put a plant and then buy the plant for it, rather than lots of people find a really nice plant and try and make it work in whatever space they've got where it might not really suit the health, like the care needs for it. So I think it's better off to do it that way around, be like, oh, I've got a window here, get out your compass, it's east facing. Let me go find a plant that kind of suits that position. I'm looking at you like you just told me the most obvious but amazing thing in the world. But it's so true. It's like, oh, this this bit of furniture doesn't fit in this room. But yeah. I me- yeah, if you'd have measured it, you wouldn't have bought it. And it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. And I actually also remember at the beginning of our conversation, you said you described cactuses as being really loyal. And yeah. I absolutely love that. I'm down for, yeah, it's pretty hard to kill a cactus, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's usually with over love, like as in like you're watering it every time. But if you're like me, who loves plants that thrive and neglect, they're perfect. You can go on holiday for two weeks, you can go on holiday for three weeks, it'll be absolutely fine. And that's what I love about them. And they can outlive us as well. So, you know, you can have that, green companion for life. And that's why I do love my unusual prickly cactus. Um, I think this is it. I think I need to move on from trying to keep complicated plants alive and just be like 100% cactus yes. and, and, uh, and succulents and then I'll be right. And then my last question is, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Sorry, it's a big Ooh, one. I know. <laughs> I think it might be Beyonce. She is a fellow Virgo. And I've always wanted to know what she's like when she's not on camera. Like I wanted to just know what she's like. Is she like, you know, the person we see or is she completely different? Because I always think like, I think she might be completely different to the person we see. And so like, yeah, I think having an honest conversation to her with her about like how she feels about everything really. I just think she's such a powerhouse, this person that kind of seems beyond, real you know she seemed beyond human like how can you do all these things so well i'd love just to sit down with her at home have a cup of tea and just see what she's like just having a chat about life um two things number one i i 100 agree with you i think she must be some someone completely different beyonce is her, her brand right yeah this is what i'm thinking but then it's like but is she what if she actually is like that all the time and that's why i do think about it for some odd reason i do think about it quite often whenever i see her i'm like is she really like this you know what is she like you know when all the cameras are off so that's always been an intrigue for me it's not very like insightful but it's been something that i've considered like oh it'd be wonderful just to have a little chat with her oh yeah i completely agree and my second thing is in, I used to always at the beginning of the podcast ask people what their star sign was and then I was like oh people eye roll at you but I wish I had I want to know if there's like patterns on founders about oh. wh- about whether whether they're all similar traits I'm a Virgo yeah. so yeah I think I really am big on star signs so I am Gemini rising and my moon is Sagittarius because this is interesting because every Virgo I meet usually shuns shuns the uh, star sign. Really? Like, yeah, or often, but it's maybe your, your mm. other bit. What, sorry, what was your moon again? My moon is Sagittarius. Okay, so you're you're wrangling quite a few different things there, aren't you? Yeah. Because your Virgo is quite buttoned down, but your Saggy wants to go, go, go. Yeah, that kind of opposing. But yeah, I'm really into it. I know a lot of Virgos as well. My dad's a Virgo, my granddad's a Virgo, my closest cousin's a Virgo. There's lots of us. And then my Virgo friends are really into star signs. So that's why I'm quite surprised. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe it's quite at odds with the quite um, kind of button down Virgo-ness, but yeah. 
I mean, I hate Virgos, but you have to know that you're dealing with a Virgo. Oh, yeah. And what's yours? <laughs> I'm a Pisces. Oh, nice. Okay. But my moon is Aries, so I'm a bit like you. I'm like quite like drifty and creative, but then there's a little bit of, of fire blazing inside me, yeah. which my Pisces self doesn't like when I'm really <laughs> bloody hot-headed. <laughs> ah, why did you do that? But I'm deeply into it as well. But I'm going to put it back in. I'm going to start yeah. asking people. And it's full moon tonight. Yeah. Today, so that's probably a good day for doing the podcast. That's yes. what I thought. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been wonderful. It's time. been brilliant. What an interesting conversation. I think some really, really important stuff to come out. Brilliant. And that's another episode wrapped. Thank you so much for listening to Meet the Founder, part of But Why Podcast. It's so easy to forget the humans behind the products that fill our shelves and phones. But I love being reminded that every brand began with a person having a great idea. These chats are about more than me being nosy, although that is a big part of it. It's about remembering the reality that success isn't linear and that being a founder doesn't take one shape. Thank you so much to my guests and thank you for listening. And just one more ask, if you could please leave us a review or shout about it on social media. It makes a huge difference to the number of listens we get. And last but not least, if you do want to get in touch, and I always love hearing from you, you can email me on butwhy at clemmytelford.com or find us at Podcast on Instagram. Wishing you a very excellent day and catch you next time.